Welcome to the How to Find and Keep a Gay Man podcast. I'm Matt Bays, your host, with Matt Heinker, your co-host. And we're here to provide bitchy wisdom for the gay man looking for love. There are a lot of gay men out there looking for a meaningful love experience, and we are here to help. You can follow How to Find and Keep a Gay Man on Instagram and TikTok, where you'll find all sorts of bitchy wisdom about what it's going to take to find and keep a gay man. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Look at this top. Gorgeous. Serving a look today. I am. I bought this shirt from Sheen. Yes, I'm familiar. All the gays are, and pretty much everyone in the world is. I'm discovering. Yes, I get many of my daughter's clothes at Sheen. Okay, well, this top was twelve dollars, and listen, it came and it was too big, so I cut the sleeves off and I cropped it real short. Worth every peso, my darling. Yes, I have given this disease to my daughter. The number of times we were about to go out and she was like, where are the scissors? I was like, okay, here we go. She's making something that usually had about a 75 to 80% success rate. Well, that's pretty high. Yeah, not bad. So when I was doing this one, I was like, I don't have time to measure this and I need it to come down right to my pants line. It worked out. Oh my God, listen, it is part three. We have done this religious spiritual series that we've talked about for a long time. And part three, it's sort of a where do we go from here episode. Where do we go from here? Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk about that. Any feedback on the last two episodes? Um, I just spoke to someone this morning that said he listened to our episode two and it made him weep. (laughs) Is that right? I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, which which surprised me. I don't know why. Your story, I mean, it was really accentuated in that last episode. Mm-hmm. There are people that are going to know you really well, and they know this one version, but they don't know how hard you fought to become the man that you are now. And so there's something inspiring, sad, and wonderful about all of that. Yeah. He said it was a mixture of deep sadness and inspiration, which I felt really honored by that. It was actually Ty. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Zach had good feedback, too. We're just saying his name. Bleep his name out. I'm not bleeping that boy's name out. <laughs> Listen, we all know he's a gay wannabe. Oh, if he could be gay, he would. He just, uh, we're not taking yeah. applications today. No, no. If, you know, if we were, he'd be first in line, wouldn't he? He's doing all the right things. <laughs> Is but... he though? Except <laughs> sex with women. Except for that. Minor detail. Yeah. No, but really throughout this series, I don't usually get messages Apart from you, usually you usually get them and share them with me, but I've mm-hmm. received a few independently as throughout this series. It's been meaningful for people, and I'm really glad for that. Um, yeah, I, I hope it's been helpful. Yeah, I think it has been helpful for people, and um, I'm glad to be able to, I don't know, just broach this issue when we know it's been an issue in people's lives and keeping them stuck. And really, people not knowing, number one, not knowing how to move forward, or number two, not even really being able to get their bearings Ugh, yeah. or get their head around, what do I do? Is there something wrong? Because that indoctrination runs so deep that if you haven't really taken a very focused look at it and a focused attempt at solving that problem, you just kind of exist 
or tread yes. water, you know, until you're able to swim and figure out what the hell's going on. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. As I think about the structure of this conversation, I think it first kind of starts with a conversation about deconstruction itself, what it is, why are we talking about this, the reasons that people deconstruct, and then the road to reconstruction or the path forward, reconstruction or not. Yeah. Um, you identify moving forward as a person of faith or not. What does that path look like? And how do you go from treading water out of just self-preservation as you move through deconstruction and pick a path moving forward that feels in integrity with yourself? Yeah. And I don't know that there is, I, I, I hesitate to say there's not, but I don't know that there is reconstruction without deconstruction. Absolutely not, not, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not saying that this deconstruction process, because, you know, the idea of going through a process like that can be daunting. And also it's like, look, I don't have 10 years to invest in this because we don't really commit to it. We just kind of little by little, instead of sort of diving headlong into it and working really hard at it. And so I think uh, if you do that, it's really about understanding what happened, what ideas and lies that I believed that weren't necessarily true. And it's different for everyone. What will sure. impact you is not going to impact me the same way. And then sort of rebuilding from there, if you decide to, like you said, you and I are sort of in two different places. Everybody has their own journey, but there's not just reconstruction and abandoning the faith, which I've already said that I don't like that term because I don't, I don't feel yeah. like that's what I've done, but we'll get into my part of that. And let me say, I think, and we, as we talked yesterday, I think it's going to be really helpful for people that at least at this point in the journey, we are in kind of different places, gives them the freedom to just really think for themselves, which I think yeah. is going to be good. Yeah. And yeah. you can't go wrong. If you do that, I don't think you can go wrong. Mm -hmm. If you have somebody surrounding you, get a damn therapist or close friends that you can talk about this stuff together with, which is sure. one of the things that I'm realizing, Matt, is how many people don't have conversations at a deeper level with close gay friends. And we just went to dinner with a couple a few weeks ago, and I felt like I could sort of sense like, man, this is nice. This is nice to have deeper conversation. One of them in particular said that. And yet I know that they have a lot of gay friends, but I just don't know if it's talked about or maybe some people don't need to. I'm not trying to be a judgy bitch, but yes, I am. But people need <laughs> to go deeper, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's been a lot of pain. So in this episode, we are looking to take the information that we learned in part one and part two, and we are asking ourselves, how do we move forward? Where do we go from here? Do we want to reconstruct a religious understanding or affiliation or whatever, and integrate that into our gay life in a way that we have not before because we haven't separated ourselves from the shame that we experienced yeah. growing up? Yeah. Do we want to integrate that into our life and move forward different and better, as you always say? Or do we want to be like, you know what? I don't want to do that for now today. I'm going to set the whole idea of religion, God, uh, some entity out there, uh, or affiliation with another religion. I'm going to set it aside and move forward and realize that that actually can be exactly what you need to do. All of these decisions that we're making for today, sure. not forever, for today. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to talk about moving forward, not without faith, 
but without an, a religious affiliation or a religious experience. Or intentional reconstruction, if that's right for you today. Yes. Great. Talk to us. Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, do we assume that people know what deconstruction is? Clarify it in a couple sentences for us. Yeah, I mean, basically, deconstruction has been the, the tagline that's been used to the now cultural phenomenon of over the past, primarily the, the past decade, where within American evangelicalism, Christians rethink their faith and previously held beliefs, sometimes to the point of no longer identifying as Christian, um, but more often than not, um, landing somewhere in between or rethinking a lot of the core values um, that have been beat into our head in conservative evangelical places and coming to a faith that looks much different, but is still intact. And this is not a new concept, which I think is, I think people think this is a really modern kind of crisis of faith thing. This has happened over and over again throughout the centuries. Martin Luther in the 16th century, starting the Reformation, that's that was really a deconstructionist movement, you know? Yes. So this is not a new idea as we continue to evolve as, as humans and as people of faith, I mean, I think that we go through different chapters in history where we rightfully so question what we've been taught. Um, and stats around this. So as of February 2022, there were 300,000 posts on Instagram using the hashtag, hashtag deconstruction. I think it's interesting. And the 2020 Census of American Religion notes that affiliation among Americans as evangelical declined from 23% of the population in 2006, down to 14 in 2020. So in 14 uh, years, I mean, a huge uh, downshift in that. Unaffiliated Americans, also called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, grew from 16% of the population, self-identified in 2006, now to 26% of the population in 2020. So now one out of four Americans, I, to your point, identifies as not a person of faith. At yeah, all. yeah. Um, however, it says atheists and agnostics make up only 3% of this 26%. So in other words, the nuns typically believe in God or some sort of faith structure, but they don't affiliate with an organized religion. And I think that's a really interesting point. I think that it's natural for us at the end of the day, most of us, depending on where you're at in your journey, to lean into the idea or to explore whether or not we believe that there's a creator that loves us, that's involved in our lives to whatever degree. I think that, you know, the statistics kind of reveal that, that those are things that we do collectively think about um, and press mm -hmm. into. I think many people still believe that, but it feels like the only package mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it, the only way to experience it currently for a lot of people is through church. Exactly. But as we know, there are so many people that are doing yoga, meditation, retreats, in other ways, all kinds of vehicles for that. Yeah. And why are people deconstructing their faith? How did we get here? So I've done some research. For me, the prevalent reasons um, that people are deconstructing their faith. Number one, trust in large institutions in general is declining all across the board. So the four primary institutional pillars of modern society, government, business, media, and church, are more likely by the larger public to be viewed as corrupt, ineffective, and self-serving than trustworthy, effective, and selfless. So we're seeing that from the highest levels of government to media. You know, the amount of scandal that's been attached to churches, especially large churches in the last decade, is kind of staggering. People have a lot of mistrust in these institutions that we have been told are pillars in our society. Yeah. 
And Matt, I thought this was interesting. This is the Public Religion Research Institute along the lines of what you just said. They did a report that said one third of young people who left organized religion did so because of anti-gay teachings. So 31% of young people ages 18 to 33 who left organized religion said negative teachings or negative treatment of gay people was a somewhat important or very important factor in their departure. And a strong majority, 58% of Americans also said religious groups are alienating young people by being too judgmental on gay and lesbian issues. Mm -hmm. 70% of young people said the same. Yeah. It's a huge issue with younger people, but not only younger people, but Mm -hmm. a strong majority, 58% of Americans are basically saying that churches are being too hard on gay people. And it's not good. Yeah. Number two, we live in a more diverse, accessible, and mobile world. So, you know, for the better part of world history, people didn't have to worry about their faith being tested by alternate truth claims because we have lived in these really insular groups. So I'm a perfect example of that, growing up in this Nazarene bubble for decades and not really having exposure outside of that. Um, You just simply live and breathe, you know, the faith structure that you were taught. But we no longer live in that world. Globalization, immigration, international travel, social media. Um, technology, you know, it it causes us to be exposed to people of different cultures and beliefs. And I had a turning point in my deconstruction with that, um, specifically, uh, my ex-wife and I years ago began uh, volunteering with Exodus refugees out of Indianapolis. And we served on a team that basically provided basic needs and housing and English language services to a Muslim family that had moved here from Afghanistan. And they had us over to their house and they cooked for us. And it was really, really jarring for me to be encounter people of a, a different faith background. And they were so devout. It was so important to them. And um, it was really a turning point for me in that these people are not going to hell. These beautiful children that they have, it's absurd. They're seeking God in their faith structure that I don't identify with, but it means everything to them. And there's no way that this is wrong. Yeah. That was a huge crack of the foundation for me. And I read the book, uh, The Benefit of the Doubt by uh, by Gregory Boyd. And he wrote, it's much easier to remain certain of your beliefs when you're not in personal contact with people who believe differently. But when you encounter people with different beliefs and when those people's sincerity and devotion possibly puts yours to shame, things become quite a bit more complex and difficult. And that was my experience exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've always said that proximity is what changes people not to debate. It is when you have a friendship or somebody that you love who feels other or has a different idea than you do. It's the proximity Mm -hmm. to those people that we love that changes their minds. So these grandparents that are 85 had not decided to love their queer grandchildren and accept them and do life with them because they had a theological encounter with God that changed them. It's because they love their grandchild. So yeah, I get that. It's sad, isn't it? That when we're religiously affiliated with one of those circle the wagons kind of organizations, Mm -hmm. that you have no experience with people like that in the world because you're told to stay away from them. Yeah. Number three, the prideful prioritization of conformity over unity. (laughs) So Bonnie Christian writes in her book, A Flexible Faith, We can get so stuck in our own little pool that we never notice the stream of orthodoxy is wide and deep, historic and beautiful. 
without even realizing it, we can become convinced that our own tradition of Christianity is the one Christian alternative to non-belief and the only one. Yeah. And I think, in, again, I, have, I feel like I say it a million times in every episode, conservative fundamental Christianity, this is held dear. We are in the boat and the only one that is on its way to heaven that's yeah. not going to sink. And you have to stay in the boat and you have to talk and look like us or you're not going to make it. You know, if everyone in your church is expected to look, talk, think, believe exactly like you, your church is, is not as welcome as you assume that it is. And you're creating a culture that sacrifices unity for conformity. And it shows people a faith that does not look like what Christ has called us to in Scripture. And as we've already talked about, we do this through fear. We scare mm-hmm. people and tell them that if you have these other beliefs, if you believe those Muslim children are not going to burn in hell, then you're a universalist. And they use mm-hmm. that as a slam. And I'm like, hey, sign me up. Yeah. I was just about to say, maybe I'm letting the cat out of the bag a little early. I now identify as a universalist. And okay. a primary leg of that table is this experience that I had with this Muslim family. So a plug for The Universal Christ, a book that Richard Rohrer wrote. He's a Franciscan mm-hmm. monk, brilliant man. That book really led me down the road of respect for other faith traditions and just exposing yourself to the idea that they are pursuing the divine in the way that they've been taught. And our way is not superior. That was mind-blowing yeah. to me, but really important. Another uh, book that uh, reminded me of it when you read the quote by that lady is A Generous Orthodoxy by mm-hmm. Brian McLaren. Brian sure. McLaren was raised very fundamentalist, and I've read several of his books. And this book's a lot of heavy reading, but yeah. for those people that love that kind of digging, it's a wonderful book. I'd say the last glaring one for me is The Acceptance of Political Idolatry. <laughs> And where the goodness still grows, former missionary Amy Peterson wrote, people of my generation aren't leaving the church because their devious atheist professors got them to, but because they saw a church much more interested in defending political power than in loving their neighbors. If you wrap Jesus up in that American flag, I can't. I cannot. I was asked one time when I was working at a church to design for a weekend service a July 4th Independence Day service, including proud to be an American. Oh, Lord. And people (laughs) marching in with flags. And my job was to design it. And when I say I had to take a deep breath, shut my eyes for about three weeks as we got this thing going and just do my job and press four, I just, I couldn't even. You should have called RuPaul to wear the dress to swing in like she did in Tuong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Her sequin patriotic dress. That would have been the perfect counterpoint to balance the situation. You should have called me, girl. Yeah. But the marriage (laughs) between Jesus and America, in my book, intolerable. You already mentioned Greg Boyd, but he wrote another book called Myth of a Christian Nation. Yeah. That book was revelatory for me. It's the first time I ever actively got involved in politics. And by actively involved, I just mean researching and voting (laughs) because I wanted no part of it. And he actually helped me realize why it's so important 
but really debunked that whole idea of putting the church and politics side by side. And, and what's so messed up about that? It's an awesome book, Myth of a Christian Nation. Love it. And I think the cherry on top in recent years is to see our devoutly religious Christian conservative families just wholeheartedly support Trump without any regard to the morality that we assign to the decisions of the people that we uphold. I think that's been the final crack in the foundation for a lot of people. And it's fuel the deconstruction movement. Now, here's something interesting. It used to be that kids would go to college, uh, like they would stop going to church. You know what I mean? Once they turned 18, many of them went to college. And then as they began their career and living single lives, they ditched the church only to return after getting married, starting families, having children. Right. Uh, But with millennials, that expected surge that has always been there is no longer happening. So I thought that was really interesting. What do you think that is? I think that people in today's day and age are not just going to blindly accept cultural norms or a lot of different areas, gender roles and relationships to conform to expectations about how you're going to raise your family because of the way that your parents did. I think that we are in a time where everything is being questioned. And tradition in many ways is being examined, not just in, in faith communities, if that makes sense, in my opinion. I don't know if it's just because of where I am, but I'm thinking of young people. And my guess is they find it very boring. Yeah, this, yeah. this idea of white collar church sermon series on how to have a better marriage or how to raise your kids right. I think they find that very boring. They're like, please tell me we're not still focused on ourselves. Like we can figure that stuff out (laughs) through professionals that actually have credentials behind that. We can Google all that information, read books, listen to podcasts on that. We're not interested in some pastor's take on how to raise children who's not a professional and his kids are effed up. (laughs) Anyway. I found that very interesting that, and I watched that people that were looking for churches in their thirties. I saw that a lot, new people coming. Yeah, we haven't been to church in 15 years, blah, blah, blah. And now that they're saying that's just not happening anymore. I think a few things about that. I I mean, again, here I am in my, you know, I think just beginning stages of reconstruction. What I see around me is we, you know, this mega church culture is now has such bad cultural connotation attached to it. And so it's very easy for people to throw out the baby with the bathwater and to say that they're not relevant places to go to get any kind of guidance or truth to enrich your life. And I think that because of a lot of things that have happened within the churches, the abuse, like the really corrupt people in leadership in a lot of the churches that have fallen in recent years, there's just a million reasons why that's a relevant position I think the unfortunate part of it is the church is designed to introduce you to a God who loves you and to teach you (laughs) a faith practice that welcomes him into your everyday and that changes you for the good. And I think that that really basic thing is lost in the corruption and bad cultural connotation attached to church in general. Yeah. Um, I think part of Reconstruction is just starting from scratch, looking at what it actually is to you and throwing off everything that has been negative that you've experienced attached to it. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So Matt, let's go ahead and turn the corner and talk about where we go from here. And we can talk about reconstruction or 
moving forward religiously unaffiliated? When I went through deconstruction, I came out, you know, I had a really, I didn't really say this in my, my story about what happened to me within the church that I was still very much immersed in when I came out, but I had a men's group that I was a part of for more than 10 years that I got asked to leave. I was asked to leave the worship team. I mean, I was just thrown out. I had to ask myself, why am I a Christian at all? Is any of this even real? Yeah. And I think that you have to start there to build anything beyond that. That's authentic as painful and complicated as that process is. And for me, I got to an idea, a few core ideas that I started to ruminate with over time. One was this complex, beautiful world around us. It could not have happened by chance. There had to have been a creator. So I believe that there's a divine creator, a father that made us all. That was kind of one of the first steps I took. And then I started to think about, oh, love that will not let me go. My experience on the train platform that night and many others that I could point to. God is always present and at work around us. I got to the point where I really did consciously understand that I deeply believe that because of experience. And so then I put that back in my basket, you know, and I kind of walked through a road and I am walking down that road still only putting the things in my basket of faith that I deeply fervently believe and that ring true mm-hmm. with my spirit. Yeah. And I don't know any other way to go about reconstruction than to do that. But before you even get there to like flip it over to your side for a little bit, I did, through a lot of pain, blood, sweat, and tears, come to the understanding that it was important to me to remain a person of faith. That was where I landed, and that's what I'm working out now. It's just as possible to land in a different spot. So why don't you share with us a little about your journey around that? A different experience for me. I started deconstruction in really around 2001, started reading a bunch of books, which I talked about, I think, in part one. And because of all of the pain in my life, Matt, that I, you know, suffered through abuse and the death of a brother, the death of a sister, nearly the death of a daughter, you know, there was just a lot of shit in my life. Plus growing up gay, you know, living in hiding, all of it, that I had to re-understand what my idea was first of a God who allows terrible things to happen, tsunamis, things that are not necessary. It was too much for me. I knew there had to be something different there. And I went through a beautiful process of re-understanding my faith and experiencing God in really new ways and came to a point in my life if God stepped in and said, well, we can take away these bad things and the things that you went through, but all of these other things that you have now today, the gifting to empathize with others, the understanding of the world and pain, being able to connect with people who've been through pain, those are going to have to go away too. I would not make that exchange. That is my definition of redemption. Mm -hmm. I like the things that I'm able to do and who I am that have been a result of processing through those difficulties. Now, that's where I was. Were you in a place where you'd say all things work together for the good of those that, (laughs) to use this quote scripture, you're saying that all things work together for the good? The scriptures, as you know, are used in beautiful ways and horrendous ways. <laughs> yeah. So sure. I think that's a great thing for a kid that found his piece of candy that fell through the bleachers, you know, or you got a ticket and went to go pay your ticket and ran into an old friend that you wanted to, you know, reconnect with. All things work together for good. Please don't say it over someone who's laying in the bed with cancer, taking their last breath. 
No, of course. Yeah. It's not okay. You yeah, know, don't wrap it that. up that way for people. It's too painful. Anyway, but where I am today, Matt, is, you know, I left the church two years ago. Uh, and and I worked in one right up until that point. Leading worship, I was the, hey, everybody, we're glad you're here. Let's get on our feet mm-hmm. and sing these songs mm-hmm. to God. And what I found over the last several years of worship leading was struggling to say all of these words about Jesus. God, this feels really like a lot to admit. And struggling to say yeah. the words about God because I didn't know anymore. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I believed. I wrote this article years ago called When God is a Farce on Tuesday. And it was simply just giving people the permission to not believe sometimes. We're not always going to believe. It's okay. Sure. I don't know how much I believe or don't. I think that there's something out there because I've had these experiences in my life that I can't explain. But do I believe in the virgin birth? Do I believe in these Bible stories exactly as they are? Do I believe that Jesus was God's son in this? The divine in human form. In this divine way. Yeah. I have not had that experience in my own life with miracles like that. I don't have empirical evidence of those kinds of things happening in my life. I've had still small voices. I've had guidance and leadings that I've paid attention to. I've had moments where I've felt healed in my mind and in my heart, but not something so extraordinary as a virgin birth. I don't think that I believe in that. Today, I love the word today because that's where I am today. I don't really feel bad about that. It's just, it is what it is. Real quick, I might suggest to our listeners, because this is where I'm at, the details about things like that. So the virgin birth, for example, Jonah and the whale, Christ being divine, even like really big concepts like the atonement. So Jesus had to die on the cross to atone for all of our sins. I really struggle with that. It's bullshit. Yeah. And so to begin reconstruction doesn't mean that you have to pick up all of those old, even if they're foundational tenets to traditional Christianity. I don't know if it's necessary to pick up every one of those things and believe them hook, line, and sinker. I think you can only make space to believe the things that you do feel like are true for you and start there, you know? Yeah. Well, first of all, yes, Matt, to what you said. And I know that this is where some people listening, if they're fundamentalists will be like, oh, so you just write, you know, God into your image of whatever you want him to be. You're not listening to these scriptures that very pointedly say this. Well, we've already talked about that, that the scriptures say many things that a lot of these fundamentalists don't believe. So go with God. You can figure that out. And even within Christianity, there are a thousand different faith traditions that explain every verse wildly differently. So that's where we stand right there. We don't have the market cornered on truth. And I'm sorry, Pastor, he yelled at me about whatever. You do not have the market cornered on truth. You don't have an absolute understanding of the scripture. Literally no one does. But we are compelled through whatever path we've been on to believe in God or not. Yeah. So when someone asks me, why aren't you going to church any longer? I find myself not knowing exactly what to say. So what I did was I took a little time to think about that and wrote this down just in the last few days. Real simple. I don't need it. 
Simple as that. I don't feel I am missing anything by not being there. Now, when I hear religious music, I'm nostalgic over it. Like that's a part of my heritage, you know, mm -hmm. and even a really good sermon. I would like that as much as I would like a really good teaching by an academic, mm -hmm. but I don't miss most of what I found in the church. So mm -hmm. on Sundays now, I'm visiting with gay boys at the pool. I'm going to <laughs> brunch with my husband. We're hanging out here in the house on our computers, drinking coffee, eating cherry pie. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm doing different things that are life-giving and fulfilling to me. And I really thought that I would miss it. And I don't. If I lived in Indianapolis, I would still go to that same church, St. Luke's, that I was a part of, because mostly because of the social. I would know I got to see you and your kids and Ty and his kids every week. Mm -hmm. So I would yeah. want to go because I would want to see you guys. But mm -hmm. it wasn't as much about this devoted moment of worship where I'm sitting out in the pews singing. And uh, that's fine, but it's not enough to keep me there. Not for now. And I, I strangely can identify with that more than you would probably realize. I was talking to Ty the other day, and I was like, I just want to go to Bedside Baptist this morning. I don't want to go to the church. I primarily go to a church as regularly as I do is because I do want my children introduced to, the, to faith. But I think for me, it's much deeper than that. I think when I threw everything off the table and just was trying to figure out what I believed, um, you know, I talked in the last episode about how, how meaningful music has been for me. It's part of my heritage as well. There are certain songs, some of them, the words I just can't do anymore, you know, because yeah. I'm in such a different place. But there is faith music that I love. Cece Wine and Sunny. I mean, she will always get me up in the morning. There's things that I pick up still that are part of my faith because they are nurturing to me and beyond just church, even just prayer. So I was talking to a friend about this the other day. I woke up one morning and I was conscious of the fact that I hadn't prayed in almost two years. And I also was conscious of the fact that I missed praying so much. And so just from sheer faith, I mean, I just started that practice again, maybe relearning it in a new way, or what do I say? Or how do I want this to look in my life? And so now I have a faith practice where I do pretty regularly pray. It's been incredibly centering for me. You know, I'm in a place where I just want to ask my creator what is true and try to be divinely inspired in a direction that is peaceful and good. Um, I think that a lot of opposition to deconstruction is, well, the world will tell you to just prioritize your own thoughts over any kind of other teaching and you're leaning on your own understanding and you're just flying blind. I do think there's a little bit of truth to, well, I've landed here and I'm not going to really deeply examine it. You know, I think we need to really be intentional about thinking about, you know, I don't know. I appreciate this point. This yeah. is a good point, but I don't know that I can agree with that because I look at somebody like Chris, who's an atheist or, you know, is yeah. he, I don't know. He says he is at one point and then I'm not sure I hear him praying and I'm like, I'm confused. Yeah. Who knows? But I'm watching somebody like him live in such a good way and in such a healthy way, not about himself and mm -hmm. about others and through a relational lens. He's just a fucking amazing person. Yeah. And he's not examining all that stuff. So I wonder if the people but, that really need to examine it are the but, people who grew up like us. And I don't know the answer to this, but is he missing out on something? I don't know. It doesn't feel like it, but I think it's, like you said, it's very personal for people yeah. to know. And I think we know, is something missing or is something not? 
That's not a really difficult question. And if something is missing, I think it's okay to maybe assume if, if all your ducks are in a row in your life and you've kind of like everything's sort of functioning and happening here, but it still feels like something's missing. Maybe there is a spiritual element, a meditative element. You talked about prayer. I woke up and realized I hadn't prayed for two years. I don't like that. A lot of people call prayer meditation. In fact, the most significant thing, the most important thing to me that I'm taking from my spiritual upbringing, religious upbringing is prayer. And most of that is gratitude, is saying thank you for these things that it doesn't feel like I deserve. I guess I do, but they're here regardless. And so thank you for those. So in times of crisis, like when your daughter got in a really bad car accident and you're driving up to Michigan... How do you process that? I asked God for everything, every favor. Listen, it didn't mean in that moment that I absolutely believed that God was there, but I was certain at that moment that if she were to survive and live, Mm -hmm. that it was going to have to be something supernatural that would happen. That's what I thought. I don't know how all that works out in the end. She's with us today. She's alive. Yes. Uh, Thankfully, those don't feel like wasted prayers to me. So yes, in that, and you know, again, this is where people would listen to me like, oh, so it's Hail Mary prayers. And it's like, no, I just told you 80%, if not more, probably 90%, maybe 95 is spent just saying thank you. Yeah. Or just being thoughtfully reflective and in an attitude of gratitude. I can't believe I just rhymed to that. <laughs> uh, over how I feel today, you know, that I have food. I rarely fill up my gas tank or get groceries without thinking. I never have to worry about getting food. To me, that's prayer. But I don't have a list where I'm going through every kid and going through every person on my list. And I just am holistically thankful for all of those things. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I think for me, I is I've just processed and processed and processed, you know, in recent years, you know, where I'm at now and looking back, you know, I shared this story about really feeling God's presence in my life in ways that I couldn't understand that really sustained me in certain chapters. And then I look at where I'm at today. I have the most wonderful husband that I love. He's Mm -hmm. my soulmate. I am at peace in my mind and my body. My children are healthy. We both lost so much in coming out and moving forward with our lives. But in just a few years, I think we're in this place that I could not have imagined. And I do feel in my bones that God has been next to me the entire way and that he still is with me through pain, through difficulty. You know, there's a lot of stuff to still navigate that's difficult and there always will be. But I don't have never felt alone in that, you know. And so for me, faith construction, my goal is and we'll see what happens as I walk along this path. My goal is. This reconstruction leads to an even stronger faith. I hope it leads me to a plate that's internally consistent, authentic, and intellectually robust. It's not based on blind obedience from some cult leader or faith structure. I really want it to be from a place of authenticity in my experience still through all the pain through the entire journey is that when I am in prayer, when I am mindful of God's love in my life, it enriches it. So I'm just starting there. And I think one of the best things for a good takeaway for all of us is we don't have to have this thing figured out. I mean, there are theologians, C.S. Lewis was a man of doubt, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think it's the opening of that book, A Prayer for Owen Meany, that says, 
if there were no room for doubt, there would be no room for me. You know, it's okay. Doubt is a part of faith. You know? Absolutely. Sometimes the most beautiful part. Those are always the people that have resonated with me. Uh, I'm not walking around with a whole lot of doubts going through my head right now. I'm just letting myself be and taking this time. It may evolve into something where I'm a part of a religious affiliation again. I don't mm -hmm. think it actually will. Uh, but who knows, you know, today, this is where I am. Like I said, the greatest thing that I take from my religious experience is prayer and what prayer looks like to me anymore is not dear God, will you please? It's much more meditative, mm -hmm. just a state sure. of the mind. And even what we're doing at the end of these programs, mm -hmm. which people be like, that ain't no damn prayer. <laughs> sure it is. Get into it. It is to me. It is. To With me. that said, what you got for us today, Reverend Silky? I'm ready. Well, honey, today we have a prayer that should be familiar because it is based off of a Madonna song. It is called <laughs> Like a Prayer. <laughs> now I lay me down to sleep. I pray for a man and not a creep. And if my man is a bait and switch, I swear to God, I will cut a bitch. Amen. <laughs> wow. All right, here we go. I pray in bed, sometimes out loud. I don't know if there's anything out there. Most of the time I think there is, and then at other times, I'm not so sure. Regardless, I pray because it does something for me. I don't think it changes God, but I do think it changes me. It aligns my spirit with the things in my life that are most important to me. About six months ago, my husband, who was sure he didn't believe in God, said a prayer out loud as we were going to sleep. He prayed for me and for us. Mostly, he just kept thanking whatever it is that he doesn't believe in for me. I was moved by his prayer and felt so close to him, but most of all, I was just grateful. Prayer can do that, make you grateful, and gratitude is attractive. This is where we bring it back on how to find and keep a gay man. No one loves to be around someone who is constantly bitching about how horrible their life is, especially if that life was created out of clubbing, cheating, and self-absorption. God damn, Matt, harsh much? Shit. We all started asking God for things when we were kids, and now, as grown-ass gay men, we should probably start thanking God or the universe for some things, too. Psychologists encourage gratitude because it is consistently linked with positive emotions, better health, and, wait for it, strong relationships. It's not hard to do. Start with the words, thank you for, and stay there for a bit. You can add in, help me with, eventually but mostly stick with gratitude. Try it for a month or forever. See what happens. Can I get an amen? Amen. Just like a prayer, I'll take you there. Just like a simple prayer. The right. Lord is my shepherd. And Matt, she knows that we're both gay. She known for a long time, longer than <laughs> we did. <laughs> I think one of my favorite moments from this three-part series is about... Yeah. God not wanting to fix us. Yes. Because nothing's wrong. Needs to be fixed. Yes, nothing is wrong. You, you can't know? fix what ain't broken. Mm -hmm. We're beautiful. We are beautiful. 
And now we yes. know that and people want to tell us we're not. Well, too bad. Look at us. Look at us in these <laughs> shirts and pearls. <laughs> Queer and lovely. Queer and lovely. It's been a pleasure. I hope that people can listen to this series and I hope that it's helpful to them. I had someone reach out to me last night who was like, your podcast on this religious three-part series is really striking a lot of nerves with me. I realized how much that I have not really reconciled you know, in the, the wake of the trauma that I felt growing up in the church. And it's really been opening up a lot of things for me to process this. And I hope for the children, that is what it has done. I just want us to move forward as whole people, conscious of the fact that we're beautiful as we are, and to your point, not broken, as yeah. they and, explore reconstruction or not. Yeah. And if we can get that peace and love with and for ourselves, and mm-hmm. we desire to find and keep a gay man, Mm-hmm. We can have it. We can have it, honey. Yes. <laughs> we can have it. And until next time, live in rivers of self-love. One, two, three, four. That's it for us today. For more bitchy wisdom, follow How to Find and Keep a Gay Man on Instagram and TikTok at, you guessed it, How to Find and Keep a Gay Man. And until we meet again, get a therapist, don't be an asshole, protect yourself, Call your mom and remember that you deserve a meaningful love. Bye.